Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries, published by Henry Press, and the host of the Cozy Corner podcast, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Ellen Byron, who also writes as Maria DeRico, joins me today in the Cozy Corner to chat about the fifth novel in her award-winning Cajun Country Mystery Series, Fatal Cajun Festival. Welcome, Ellen. Hi, so thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. I'm glad to have you. So to start, for those of us whose knowledge of Louisiana begins and ends with Mardi Gras in New Orleans and who can't tell a Creole from a Cajun, can you tell us a little bit about Cajun country? Yes, Cajun country is um, basically north and uh, about an hour, it starts about an hour north and, and two west of New Orleans. And um, and uh, there the area which I write about is kind of quasi, it's, it's Cajun country, but it's also plantation country because it's where uh, along the river road where there uh, the um, uh, there were plantations built in you know from the late 1700s through uh, the mid 1800s, um, and then um, but many Cajun people live there, and there actually what people don't know is there's prairie and coastal Cajun, and um, basically um, by the coast south of I-10, you know in the area like New New Iberia and and Homa and um, and even Lafayette is which I guess kind of straddles both worlds uh, is considered coastal Cajun. And the food is more seafood oriented. And then um, towards I-10 and really um, north of I-10 along that is what they call Prairie Cajun. And those are towns that are uh, more um, branch based and, and less about uh, seafood and, and um, you know, going shrimping and, and oystering and stuff and more about, you know, cattle, raising cattle and 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 the cuisine actually in both areas kind of reflects that. And the and Creole um, is more about uh, you know the first um, it, the literal definition is firstborn in this country. It's it's a little confusing, but it's basically anyone with a, a European or um, uh, ancestry and of some kind. And also African. There's African Creole too with African um, ancestry. And so. Uh, so that's and the Creo and the Cajuns came over in the Le Grand Regiment, which is the it's about 1766-65, where um, the English uh, kicked the French out of um, uh, Acadia, and which was a part of uh, Canada, and they migrated down to Louisiana, and um, and so Cajun is actually a kind of a bastardization of the word Acadian. If you say Acadian fast enough and with an accent, it becomes the word Cajun. So what inspired you to set your series in Cajun country? Um, I transferred to, uh, in the middle of sophomore year of college, I transferred to Tulane University. Um, I was a huge Tennessee Williams fan, and so to go to school in, in the city, in the city where so much of his work, where he lived, and, and which inspired some of his great work, was like, to me, a dream come true. And, um, and I really became fascinated. You know, my parents would come visit, and we'd drive around the region, and um, I just became fascinated by the culture, because... Um, you know, even I, when I went to visit in the mid '80s, uh, you can still find people even now speaking Cajun French as their first language. And so, for there to be a culture within the culture, um, in this, uh, in this, hold on a sec, um, fascinated me because I realized because I thought about that, why am I so interested in that? But I think what really hooked me was that you have people who've been in America 
you know, a culture that's been here since the 1700, you know, the, the 1760s, which is older than the nation, actually, who still have their own cuisine, their own music, their own language, you know, a culture within a culture. And my mother was born in Italy and she came over when she was a little girl. But growing up, all through my childhood, we had Italian relatives coming, still coming over from Italy. So I grew up really on that side of the family in a culture within a culture. And I think I kind of connected those two um, because I had lived it in my own way and then just found it fascinating. You know, and in my own way, it was the immigrant experience. Um, but when you look at the Cajun culture, I mean, like I said, um, their ancestors, the ancestors of the Cajuns now have, have been here since before our nation was actually a nation. So, um, and yet have held on to so much of their rich culture and heritage. And there's a real life place called Pelican, Louisiana, somewhere south of Shreveport and way north of New Orleans. So is this the Pelican, Louisiana Wait, that you're serious is this? There is, I, I Google no, that's it. hilarious. <laughs> Oh my gosh, because I Googled it a while ago and thought there's no Pelican, Louisiana. I didn't even, I thought I was making it up. I was like, why is there not a Pelican, Louisiana? So when I wrote the book, I'm telling, that is hilarious because you're telling, I don't know why it didn't come up because I looked it up on a map. I didn't see it on the map. I had a big map of New Orleans, of Louisiana. Um, I've never heard from anyone in Pelican, Louisiana saying, hey, you're writing about our town. Uh, no, in my in my head, it was completely fictional. That's hilarious. Oh, that is so How could I not know that? I looked it up. I did my research and my homework. <laughs> well, it came up as an unincorporated community, but it was it was it was there, just kind of right in that. Uh, uh, okay, that maybe that's why it did. Baton Rouge and Shreveport. Oh, that's so funny. Maybe that's why it didn't appear on the maps that I was looking. So I'm a map. I'm I'm old school that way. I love. Yeah, now I'm you know I'm MapQuest or Google Maps everything. But I love. I grew up loving maps, and I would sometimes chart out our family vacation. And in fact, in one of the plays I wrote, there was a character named Rose who was um, uh, very much on the spectrum. But the one thing he could do is tell you how to get anywhere in the country. Um, he had like an encyclopedia knowledge of mapping. Wow. So, um, so <laughs> it's funny because all these years I haven't heard from anyone from that area going, hey, thanks for writing about it. And me going, sorry, I didn't. So, and they might not be too fond of my, uh, of the town motto, which is, yes, we pill a can. So. <laughs> I think that's a great motto. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic motto. Um, uh, the state does just bleed very, very red outside of uh, New Orleans. So that's, that's, but hopefully they do get a kick out of it. So, well, maybe if uh, someone in Pelican, Louisiana hears the podcast, they'll start reading your series and then let you know how much they appreciate yeah. you sending your book in their unincorporated community. Oh my gosh. I have to, as soon as we're done, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to look that up and just, you know. Uh, it's no my to answer your original question no in my head in my small clearly small mind small brain um it's a fictional town and it, but it was inspired by some real places like um saint martinville and brobridge and um you know Opelousas and natchitoches you know they're all some of the the last two are not in cajun country really they're um you know i'd have to look at it it's very amorphous the quote, quote unquote boundaries because it's almost like they're created by tourism the tourism board so you know there are plenty you know even north of baton rouge 
Um, you know, there are plenty of Cajun people living there. But the true Cajun country is kind of like the area between I-10 and the Mississippi west of um, uh, west of the Mississippi. Okay. Now, as mentioned, your fifth Cajun country mystery is titled Fatal Cajun Festival. So did a real festival yes. inspire the book? Um, the real festival that inspired the book is jazz, the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, which happens the last weekend of uh, April and the first of May um, every year. And I just, it's just one of the great events. I mean, it should be on everyone's bucket list, and it's on a lot of people's bucket list because it's got since my time since I started going there, it's got insanely crowded. But it's just an incredible event. Um, and it's uh, when they say jazz and heritage, they mean it because there is like in addition to like 10 tenths of and stages for music, um, there's this amazing food area where it's like all regional food. Um, and then there's a you know craft area. And it's where I discovered um, years ago, it was, this was the exception then because it was unusual now, of course, it's true of everyone, um, the, uh, a voodoo priestess who took MasterCard. And, you know, in the 80s, that was like a bit of a, <laughs> it was like, that's kind of hilarious. And I use that in my series that there's a voodoo priestess who takes MasterCard. So, um, and I still have some of her Greekery bags. So sitting there, you know, hopefully giving me luck. So, um, yeah. And so I decided... Okay, so that kind of inspired, okay, well, then what if, because there are in New Orleans, I mean, New Orleans, in Louisiana, there are more festivals in Louisiana than there are days of the year. Wow. And, um, which is why even in, you know, even Mardi Gras Murder, which is a series, um, the book before this, the one that won the Agatha Award, um, has, you know, a, like a pageant. So for Mardi Gras. Um, but I thought, well, you know, if you have a small town and you're trying to increase tourism, um, what if you did a festival that aligned, you know, that kind of bumped up against Jazz Fest like the week before? So, you know, Monday through Thursday, which are the dark, you know, the quiet days in tourism, people could come to your festival and then segue, you know, then just drive on down to New Orleans for Jazz Fest. And so how much how much fun is it to, to do research for your novels with, with festivals and voodoo priestesses and all that? Uh, oh, it's the best. Louisiana it's, food. It's the best. I'm so lucky. I have a I have a yeah carte blanche to go to you know if I could go to New Orleans and Louisiana all the time I would if I could live there I would. Um, you know my husband and I are trying to negotiate the you know the the fact that he's not a fan of humidity. Um, but you know I would just go from one festival. I would be at a festival I think every day of the year. I love, I, I particularly love small town fairs and festivals. And my parents had a cottage in northwestern Connecticut, which is nothing to do with Louisiana. And one of my favorite things to do was go to like, you know, the, the festivals and the fairs and, you know, like the, the, the county fair or the, or the town fair and, you know, go to the 4-H tent and, you know, see, I just love that stuff to death. Um, so, and here, I mean, for the third book, Occasion Christmas Killing, which invo which revolves around the bonfires they build on the levees north of the Mississippi in um, like Gramercy and Lutcher and uh, Polina, some of the towns on the Mississippi, on either side, um, we actually, I made my family go for spend Christmas in Louisiana so I could be at the bonfires, which are lit Christmas Eve. And so I really felt I needed to write about that. I needed to experience it to write about it. And so what happened that night is it was raining. And so sometimes what happens if it rains, they postpone and do it uh, 
New Year's Eve and we weren't going to be there. So I was like in a panic. But the last minute, it was like drizzle and they said, we're going to do it. So, you know, I was up there taking pictures and I got like coated. I got wet and then all the ash fell on me. I mean, I was completely coated. And then I had to, t- you know, we we're going to a 930 Christmas Eve mass. My friend Gaynell, who's a real person, by the way, she's in my series and she's inspired by a real person. We were going to mass. and I had to shower before that. And I wrote all that into the book. Wow. I mean, I got to write it all in. So that was like, oh, so fantastic. Now, do you come up with the titles for your books after you do the research and come up with the story? Or do you come up with the titles first and then decide which way to go? I come up I come up with the story first. And then a couple of titles, I like Mardi Gras Murder, that was mine. And I think Cajun Christmas Killing. Plantation Shutters, was my, which is a great title. That was a friend of mine who's a, a fellow sitcom writer. She came up with that, God bless her, Mindy Schneider. And, um, and then, like, uh, Body on the Bayou was a team effort. Oh, that was like my publisher, Matt Martz, helped that and uh, with that one. And then um, the Fatal Cajun Festival, I think, was mine, too, or a combination. But I think it was pretty much mine. And, but the, the sixth book is going to be um, – it's either – and that was a team effort because, like, we could not. It's, it involves Halloween, which you think would be like a no, you know, easy peasy for a title, but you don't want it to be French because that confuses. Like, originally it was called Halloween Haru or you know, like horror in French, but but that confuses people. It's like a typo um, to people. So we went back and forth, and it's going to be either murder on, at, or in the bo- Bayou Boneyard. So, um, so I'm not sure which of the Purposes. I don't. I don't know grammar at all. I'm like a. Prof- I've been a professional writer for. I can't even tell you how many years. And if you gave me a grammar test, I would utterly fail it. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have editors and grammar police. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, speaking of Fatal Cajun Festival, it, it opens with a list of the cast of of characters. So was yes. that your idea, uh, or was that your yes. publisher's idea? No, that started with Mardi Gras Murder, and I wish it had started with a, uh, a, um, a, a Cajun Christmas Killing, because I, I have a lot of characters in my book, and I noticed readers were like having little, you know, if you put the book down and come back to it, you have to remind yourself, and this happens to me when I put a book down and come back to it, you know, remind yourself who people are, and some people don't like, they kind of think that's not a great idea to have a, you know, like a cast list, Um I don't know why I guess they think it's almost like cheating like you shouldn't need a cast list which is I get totally and I don't know you know and I think is like and I'll tell you something and after this that ties into that but I've had readers in fact in some of the reviews readers have commented on how valuable that is you know that they get can go back and remind themselves who someone is um I've actually had you know my editors say take out a few people we don't see them enough don't put them in there it's just going to be too crowded in the cast list um but you know there's a thing where you know if you're writing a series you tend to accumulate characters um some people some characters and like um sandy seacrest was uh a naming that someone won at a um malice uh, the malice live auction and i wrote her i turned a character into you know gave her that name well she's now engaged she's going to be she's engaged and and she's going to be engaged to one of the other characters so she started off she's now a regular so, um, but like in Bayou in the Boneyard, uh, Boneyard Bayou in the sixth book, whatever the hell it's going to be called, um, one of the characters who's Gaynell Bourgeois, 
who again I said was inspired by a very good a dear dear friend of mine um, you know you see Fatal Cajun Festival very much revolves around her well in book six she's off on she's off on tour <laughs> you know I, there was no room for her in the story so I feel really badly but I, I only mentioned her once but you know I can't um, you can't write to everyone so there are a couple of characters regulars who were more important previous books um, like Leia and her husband Kyle who are very who basically get a mention in the sixth book because there's just not room for them right. unless I gave them their own story which I did not have and I don't want to you know I don't like to write to the word count I, then I feel like you end up stuffing a book when it doesn't need to be stuffed true so I, I, I agree with that yeah okay, and it's nice that you know your regular characters can go on vacation or go on tour and come back in a later book exactly if there's a i don't know if there will be past i'm praying there's another book past six but you know it's this mar the marketplace now is different and so hopefully there will be you know we'll see i hope to know in winter or spring but you know meantime it's good i think when you're writing a series i think it is good to take a breath so and speaking of your, yeah. your series, both of your series, your current series, the Cajun Country Mysteries, Cajun and Country Mysteries, your yeah. new series, uh, Catering Hall Mysteries, which you'll write yeah. as Maria DeRico, uh, contain recipes. I know there was one you shared on a blog uh, by Kim Davis. Yes. As well as a cinnamon sugar and a little bit of murder where she made a rum raisin cake. Yes. And yeah. Catering Hall has Italian mysteries. So who? I'm sorry, Italian it has recipes. Italian, and it actually has some Greek mystery, Greek recipes too. Because, and it'll have much, I think, more of a mix of recipes. Um, and believe me, that's the great irony of these series, of these books, that I am not a cook. Oh. Um, it's so you know, I mean, there are people like Leslie Karst who are just she's a trained, she's trained as a chef, and then there's me. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'll notice in Fatal Cajun Festival, I literally, there's a, for a recipe, it just says RIP sweet potato pralines. Because I had one at this great shop in on Decatur Street called Southern Candy Makers, and it was a sweet potato praline. It was so good. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's going to be, I'm going to make that, you know, it kind of inspired the whole praline run, praline, I should say. I'm pronouncing it like a Yankee. Um, the praline run in Fatal Cajun Festival. So then I go to make them. It's like, oh, this is going to be so cool. I threw out three batches. I could not get it to work. And so finally I had to write RIP Street Potato Pralines and explain to readers, you're not getting a recipe here because I couldn't, you know, but if you want to buy, here's the, here's the, you know, the website for the place where I got the original ones that inspired me. And let me tell you, pralines are so hard to make. I didn't realize that. I was like, oh, 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 oh. no. So I even wrote in, to the batch I made, oh, you're going to get three textures. You're going to get, you know, like kind of cr like hard and soft and chewy. I, honestly, if you're a good, if you're a good cook or candy maker, you're not going to get three batches, different textures. But if you me and you're like flailing, you will. So, <laughs> so and then my family, it's like, I keep trying. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you know, when I did a jambalaya recipe and I forgot which book that's in, I wanted to, I really like to make the recipes my own. Like, even if I find a recipe, I will tinker, tinker, tinker so that I feel like I can call it my own. And so I'll do a little something or I'll add ingredients or take out an ingredient. And um, 
so that I put my personal stamp on a recipe because otherwise I feel like it's kind of cheating if you're just like pulling, you know, I mean, there are rules like you can't copy, you can, can't copyright like ingredients, but you can copyright the way something is written. So the cheat is to write it differently. But I also, you know, try to play around with the ingredients to the point where my family was like, when I was playing with the jambalaya recipe, they were like, no more jambalaya, stop making it. We can't eat another bowl of jambalaya. And, uh, I cheated for the gumbo recipe. What? I'm sorry. Are you cheated for the? Uh, tell me about the gumbo recipe. I cheated and said Gaynell, you know, because Gaynell's my friend Gaynell. I met her um, in the mid '80s. Uh, my friend and I took a ride, took a drive up the uh, the River Road, and we stopped at this kind of half abandoned plantation called Ashland Bell Helene because there was like a little like trailer and uh, there was you know almost a hand, I think it was a handwritten sign tours, and the place seemed so interesting. And it turned out it's where Glenn, I'm uh, not Glenn, um, where Clint Eastwood shot the Beguiled movie, and the place was really a wreck. And and it was the subject of a lawsuit between family members because Louisiana still has remnants of the Napoleonic Code, and it's something they called forced inheritance, which I think has been changed since then where all the descendants had to agree on, on the property. And there was one holdout, Mr. Hayward, and he didn't want to sell it to Shell, which wanted to buy the property from the family. And so Gaynell was the woman um, who was running the tour. And she was so delightful that we completely bonded. And um, I tell her story at the end of Plantation Shutters, where we kind of bonded, we were friends, we lost touch. Then and then 10 years later, and you know, she was older than me, Anyway, my husband and I are doing, taking a tour and we stop at Homa's house and I just to go to the gift shop, I said, you know, I had a friend who used to work at um, Ashland Bellaline. Do you know Gaynelle Bourgeois-Moore? And they said, no, she works here. And they paged her or something and she comes running down in her, you know, antebellum costume and our friendship was rekindled and she's 100% Cajun and she's a self-taught musician, self-taught artist, self-taught writer and she's fantastic at all of them. And... Um, I completely forgot how I got on this side trip. You were what talking about a gumbo doing? recipe. Oh, the recipe. The gay. Okay. So when it came to a gumbo recipe, I thought I don't want it. I don't can't spend hours doing this. I don't want to screw it up. I said, Gaynell, give me your recipe. Now, of course, someone like Gaynell, she's like my Zizi Rose on the Italian side, my Tia my Aunt Rose, where giving you a recipe is like, well, you take a little of this and you a little of this, and and so I just. You know, it's not like a quarter teaspoon, half a teaspoon, half a cup. It's like, well, you know, just it's like almost like spoken word. So I just transcribed what she told me. Um, and, you know, it's it's almost like a folk recipe rather than an actual recipe. Although I've had people make it and say it's really good. So that was like a lot of talking. <laughs> now your, your Catering Hall Mystery Series, which... Since it's set in a catering hall, I'm going to assume it's going to be very yes. foodie focused. Uh, sounds very different from your Cajun country uh, mysteries. Yes, and um, I I tell people, and the truth is, you know, when I in the early '80s when I was trying to act, and that went very quickly. Um, I worked as a cater waiter for Martha Stewart, and um, and then one day this book arrived in this mail, this beautiful book called Entertaining, with a little card saying thank you, and I look inside and. There I am. There's a, I'm standing next to Martha in, in a picture on page 29 in the early editions. And so I had a little experience working, um, you know, as a cater waiter. And, um, and then my cousins, my said, I'm, you know, my mom's Italian and some cousins by marriage ran a couple of catering halls in Queens growing up, the Astoria Manor and Grand Bay Marina, which is where Jerry and I had our New York wedding reception. 
And, um, and you know, so it's set, it's an, an urban cozy, and there are very few of those. I would say the other, you know, the only comp I could really come up with um, was a Cleo Coyle's series, and I'm sure there are others. I just, you know, that was like kind of a cozy comp. Um, but it's not, it's a, but, you know, I make a story of like a little neighborhood because that's what it is. And, um, and as opposed to, you know, uh, the fictional, the, in my head, fictional town of Pelican, I mean, it's in Astoria and the place where my protagonist Mia lives is where my grand, my nonna lived and my Cece Rose and her family and Uncle Henry lived upstairs with my cousins and nonna lived downstairs. And, you know, I actually use the real name of the bakery we went to in Astoria and, um, and the location where she works is based, is inspired by the one where we got, um, had our second reception and, um, and the, and originally, um, Mia, you know, she comes back from Florida where she's had a bad experience. Her husband, who was cheating on her, disappeared with his mistress. And um, she's considered a person of interest until they, the boat washes up with the mistress's body and he's gone and he's assumed, presumed lost at sea. So she's off the hook. She goes back to New York to help her father run um, this catering hall. And originally, there was a, a guy in her life who's family was uh, the mob, mobbed up, but he was trying not to be. And my agent had a great idea. He said, well, why don't you make the whole family mobbed up? But she's trying, you know, so I did that. But in this, um, when her father gets the ca- the catering hall as payment for a gambling debt, but he has to run it as a legitimate business. So um, she is determined, Mia is determined to help him run this catering hall as a legitimate business so he doesn't have to go back to the life. And so, um, and it's right, and this is true it's you know across it's it's based on the flushing it's right on the flushing bay the flushing bay marina so it's kind of a lovely setting except in the background is LaGuardia airport in the runway so you have planes coming in and out so you know and the roar of engines so um, but it's, it was so it's so much fun to write yeah it really is and you know it's very, very a lot of the characters are inspired by my real life and I'm writing the second book. I just finished a draft of the second book where the B story is literally, um, it's something that it's inspired by something my mother told me about my grandmother. And, and then I took it and turned it into a story. And how, how is writing a, a series set in a very real New York? How's that different than writing a series set in a, in a fictional town? I'll tell you, it's it's interesting. My first, when I, you know, I started out writing plays and my first agent, my playwriting agent said, you have two voices. You have a theater voice and a TV voice. And, you know, which very much proved to be true. And it's, I think it's really kind of showing itself in the series where I think um, Cajun Country Mysteries is more of my theater voice. And um, uh, the Catering Hall Mysteries are more of my TV voice in the sense that, um, you know, I, with the Cajun Country Mysteries, to me, part of the pleasure and what drew me to writing it was just, was describing the settings, you know, and the beauty of it and, and waxing poetic almost with the prose of all that. And, um, and that's, you know, less in, in you know, in the um, Catering Hall Mysteries, I'll give you an example. I, I try. I was trying to do a little of that, and and I still describe what it's like. But I described the charming, you know, the charming street, and and my agent was like, I lived in Astoria. There's nothing really charming about it. <laughs> so I cut out the word charming and wrote more to the real of it, which is it's like a, a New York neighborhood, and I find myself writing harder, in a way, harder jokes 
you know, it's it's a little more the dialogue is a little more quippy, although there's there's that in, in Cajun country mystery. But I think it's definitely uh, more of, you know, the TV voice. I mean, honestly, you could probably turn a, one of, you know, turn that um, turn the book into a into a teleplay pretty easily, which I like to think is also true of the Cajun country mysteries. But the dialogue is is, you know, it's it's a little different. And people, well, you know, people in New York speak differently than people in Louisiana. Yes, they have to. Otherwise, you're not writing true to the region. And do you ever worry about anyone from your real life in New York wanting, you know, coming up to you and say, "Hey, is that me you put in that book?" You know what? That's already happened to me because one of the plays I wrote was inspired by my cousin's giant, one of our cousins by marriage, giant weddings, and. I wrote a play called So When You Get Married, The Quando Si Sposa Fund. And it was about, it was inspired by when I had to ask my nonna for, my nonna put aside money for each of our, like $800 for each of our dowries when we got married. And I needed to ask my nonna for that money so I could use it as key money to get an apartment in New York. And so, you know, when you have an Italian grandmother whose oldest granddaughter is asking her, asking her for her dowry money so she can get an apartment, it's, it inspires a play. Um, and I said it in the bathroom of my cousin's insane wedding, where literally at one point they played this theme of Rocky and announced, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Caesar salad. And a half dozen waiters came out juggling pepper mills, All, which is true. Everything that happens in that play happened at this wedding. There were fireworks at the end. And someone asked my Uncle Henry, I remember saying, what's going to happen next? He said, they're going to shoot the bride out of the cannon. So that went into the play. Um, so and so we did a reading. There was a reading of the play before it was published at a theater in New York. And friends of my mother came. And they were very gaffon, as you say in Italian, which is kind of like, you know, a little low class. And so at the Q&A after the play, um, one of the guys goes, he says, there were the comments. And the guy went, that's not how Betty talks. The mother, that doesn't sound at all like Betty. That's not how she talks. So um, I think in, with this, uh, with the book, I don't, first of all, I don't know how many of my family members will read it. <laughs> and, um, but I think the ones who are of my generation, you know, will, will get a huge kick out of it. One of my cousins was at my New York appearance and, and she was laughing just, you know, she could totally relate when I, we were talking about it. I did a, an, um, a signing in New York and it was a like, Q&A with Kelly Garrett, God bless her. And um and so I had family members there from my Jewish and my Italian side. And my cousin Marie was, you know, really laughing when we were talking about this series. And speaking of, of your of both series, uh, for the covers for a minute, I noticed that uh, Cajun Country Mysteries feature a, a adorable hound dog on the cover. And yes. body has a cat on the cover. Are those yes. based on real animals? Um, yes, um, the, the the Basset Hound on the cover of my books was our late lamented rescue Basset Lucy, who we loved to death. Uh, we rescued her when she was four or five, and she was a very skittish, kind of neurotic, quiet, sweet girl. And we had her; she almost, almost sixteen when she passed. 
Um, so I am, and but all my dogs, I've written all my dogs into the Cajun Country series. Um, there's a dog named King Cake, and that's inspired by my by Wiley because I realized Wiley was written into a book that didn't sell, so I had to find a way from him. And then there's a dog named Jolie Pretty who was inspired by um, our dog Pogo. Um, who's a boy. Ironically, um, Lucy was a girl, but is a boy, the Basset Hound. And then the other dogs are, I can't remember what King Cake is, but Pogo is inspired a girl dog. Don't ask me why. Um, and the cat on the cover doesn't look anything like the real cat that inspired the cat in my series. Um, my daughter's had a, has a wonderful, had a wonderful music teacher in elementary school named Mrs. Tuio. And she had the most beautiful cat. This cat was this orange color that it was just this golden orange, red orange. And then she said it was an Abyssinian. Um, and so in the book, the cat is inspired by Sphinxy, her now, I'm sorry, sadly departed cat. Um, but on the cover, it ended up a different color. So I guess the color corresponds better with the other colors on the book cover. And how much? And oh, oh, and in and the catering hall mysteries, there's also a bird, a parakeet, that inspired by two parakeets. Um, my C.C. Rose, my aunt had a, they had a parakeet named Tweety Bird, and I love that bird. And somewhere in my files is a picture of the bird sitting on top of their Virgin Mary statue's head, which I just love. Um, and then my friend Kelly, uh, another different Kelly, a neighbor, has, uh, they have a parakeet named Pizzazz. So I thought that was such a great name that I kept the name for my my uh, protagonist parakeet, and and her grandmother has a dog. So all, I'm covered on all bets. All that's missing is lizards and I don't know something else, reptiles. Have to see what pet another friend or relative comes up with. Yes, exactly. Now, uh, Fatal Cajun Festival is already available. So when does Here Comes the Body uh, come out? It's available for pre-order, and then it officially, its they call it a March release, but it, it will deliver on February 25th of next year. So it's actually not that far away, um, but it is available for pre-sale. And where can readers find your books? They can find them at their local brick and mortar, hopefully. If not, they can, their brick and mortar can order it. And then they're also available online. They're available um, uh some of the books, some of the Cajun Country Mysteries are available in, in trade paper and hardcover and Kindle. They're all available in hardcover and Kindle. Um, some are available, and I think up and through um, Mardi Gras Murder, available on Audible. Um, although the Mardi Gras Murder, I don't think is out yet on Audible. Um, unfortunately, Mardi Gras Murder and uh, Fatal Cajun Festival at this point are not available in a paperback edition. Um, but the prices of the hardcovers go up and down, and they make great gifts. They're wonderful. The holidays are coming. Yes, they are. Exactly. So you can find them online at, you know, Books a, at Books a Million, at uh, Barnes & Noble, and of course, Amazon. And where can readers find more of you? They can find me at ellenbyron.com, um, Ellen Byron author on Facebook. I'm on Twitter as Ellen Byron LA, and I am on uh, Instagram as Cajun Country's Mysteries because my daughter was like, I don't want my friends looking you up and following you and then making fun of you. <laughs> so, so I'm not on there as Ellen Byer. But, and Maria DiRico has her own Facebook page. Um, I, I think I set her up on Twitter, too. I can't remember now. Uh, not on Twitter. Um, I think I set her up on Instagram. I probably won't on Twitter because I don't really feel um, 
that's where, you know, I don't think a lot of cozy readers really are Twitter followers, but they do like Facebook and I think also Instagram. And do you have any signings coming up in November, December? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, I'm going to be uh, at Mysterious Galaxy in San Diego on October 27th. And then I'm going to, yay, I get to go to New Orleans. And I will be at Tulane Bookstore on um, November 1st at 1 p.m. Then I will be at the Louisiana Book Festival, uh, which is in Baton Rouge, which is just one of my favorite things in the world to do. And um, I'm on a panel at 2.15 that I'm on and moderating and then assigning at 3.15. And then um, I'm at the Hubble Library in Algiers Point on Tuesday night at 6.30, uh, November 6th. November 5th and then I am at um, I'm, we're driving to Houston and I'll be at Murder by the Book uh, on November 6th at 6.30 in Houston, 6.30pm and then oh I'll be at the Cozy Con, I'll, oh I'm also at Ladies of Intrigue and I be, that's November 9th I believe on that sun, wait when is it the Sunday whenever in November, hold on, hold on uh, November 10th and then I'm at um, November 16th, I'm in Redondo Beach at um Cozy Con, which is going to be a lot of fun, which is the Kensington uh, Mini Con. All right. Uh, well, thank yeah. you very much. Full for slate. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me in the Cozy Corner today, Ellen. Thank you so much for having me. It's fantastic. And my guest today has been Ellen Byron, author of the Cajun Country Mysteries, who writes the new Catering Hall Mysteries as Maria DeRico. This has been Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries. Thank you, listeners, for joining us in the Cozy Corner, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Until next time, goodbye.